0: We're starting a new series uh, this week called Dreamers in the Hands of a Loving God. It's about Joseph and his dad and the rest of us. This is a series about moving from a self-absorbed life to a God-saturated life. And I hope that at the end of these three weeks we'll have a sturdier confidence in God and his ability to narrate our stories. We will track the life of Joseph for the next eight weeks. And Joseph is a really interesting figure in history and in literature. He was extremely talented, and he had big plans for his life. There was something special about Joseph. He knew it, his family knew it, world leaders knew it, one world leader knew it at least. By the end of his life, Joseph's hunger relief program had a global impact before globalism, and history recorded and remembered his story well before publishing. For 6,000 years, billions of people have heard the story of Joseph. He's a very special individual, and they would learn about God through his life. In fact, he would be a, a major way that people would begin to understand the life and the meaning of Jesus Christ by studying the life of Joseph and what the life of Joseph pointed to. But before Joseph's talent could be any use to the world, he had to meet God in the furnace of his suffering. He had to meet God in family dysfunction and injustice and sexual temptation and false accusations in prison. He had to experience God as he was separated from anyone who loved him. He had to meet God when he attempted reconciliation And he had to meet God in the years and years and years of silence and waiting. God met him in those challenges and tests, not around them or after them or before them, but in them. And Joseph had to meet God in those trials before his talents could be of any use to the world. We're also going to make some observations in the series about Joseph's dad. Now, Joseph's dad had two names. Uh, Jacob and Israel, and it actually becomes a a really interesting thing how which name he chooses becomes a pivotal thing for our whole series. Is he going to go by Jacob or go by Israel? Now Jacob slash Israel was a dreamer too, and he had a key influence on on Joseph's life. Jacob was 100% hustle. Every specialness he had, he had to earn for himself. He had to climb the ladder of survival one greasy rung at a time. And at some point, God knocked him off that ladder and injured him and saved him in the process. This series is about Joseph, it's about his dad, and it's about the rest of us. Whether we are religious or irreligious or somewhere in between, It's a series for anyone with big dreams, whether you've got a big dream or you're living the dream or somewhere along the way you lost the dream. This is a series for those of us with high expectations for themselves, for their kids, or for the people they care about. Because somewhere along the way, our expectations became unmanageable. Our expectations for our life became unrealistic. Our expectations for our life um, made us afraid of getting it wrong, making a wrong choice in our career or relationships or real estate or parenting or personal life. We become afraid. Our dreams make us afraid that they will never be realized, that we will have a boring and, God forbid, a mundane life and unfulfilled. Some of us are afraid that our dream will become a nightmare. We fear tragedy, loss, suffering, and death. In short, you and I want meaningful lives and comfortable lives. Right? And then God is a really helpful personal assistant in both of those goals. That's the role that he plays. He's our personal assistant. He makes our dreams come true, and he ensures that they never become a nightmare. So where does this leave us? This leaves us skipping the chapters in our stories where God begins to act. This leaves us fast-forwarding the scenes of our life where God will demonstrate his grace and love. If we only have capacity for big dreams and no pain, we will avoid the places in our lives where God wants to meet us, the boring days and the mundane moments, the painful and confusing setbacks, obscurity, Injustices and betrayal, loss and experience of darkness. That's where God meets us. That's how he, he made human beings. And then when we fell into sin and death, He met us in that sin and death and loss and confusion. If we only want comfort and meaning, it leaves us unprepared for the suffering that will come our way, and it will come our way. And as your pastor, I want you to be prepared we're in danger of being surprised by our trials rather than ready for them, rather than purified by them, and rather than strengthened by them. If God's blessings can only be found in comfort and success, we won't look for his blessings in failure and loss, and they are there in droves when we have failure and loss. My hope, my great hope for this series is that our confidence will begin to shift that our character will begin to mature, and that you and I will dream our dreams and live our lives and find our purpose in the hands of a loving God. So today we're going to start with Joseph's family, made up of dreamers and haters. Please turn to Genesis 37. We're going to explore uh, Joseph's family today. That's where all of our journeys start to some degree, is our, is our families. And we're going to explore three toxic dynamics in Joseph's family. Three toxic dynamics. You take all those dynamics together, it's a lot of drama, it's a lot of pain. And I, and I want you to listen carefully to see if, if you can identify with any of these. Maybe you've experienced them or maybe you perpetuate them. In all of these, we're going to see God's grace is at work. First toxic dynamic of Joseph's family is Jacob's self-serving leadership. Jacob's self-serving leadership is the number one and originating toxic dynamic of Joseph's family. Genesis 37.1 Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Now, Pay attention because Jacob is living in the land of his father's sojournings. He is the inheritor of God's covenant blessings poured out uh, on Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's it's God's blessings are flowing down into his life. And he is the broker for the economic, emotional, and spiritual power in his family. He's the broker. He's the one and only one who can decide who that will flow down into. Okay, these are the generations of Jacob. Is shorthand also for the patriarchal system that he was born into and that he passed on. And in some ways that God is subverting, attempting to redeem through this broken family. Verse 2b, Joseph, being 17 years old, was pastoring the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. Descend with me, if you will, into the land of Jerry Springer. Okay? It's somewhat... I was trying to unpack this. It's somewhat complicated. Let me try to simplify this for you. Um, Jacob had two wives, Rachel and Leah. And each of those wives had their own handmaiden or mistress. And and those mistresses weren't just serving uh, Leah and Rachel. They were serving Jacob as well. They were all functionally a wife of Jacob. Jacob. This is, um, uh, this is bigamy. This is having several wives. And um, if anything, Genesis, commentators have noted that Genesis is a demonstration that having several wives is not a good idea. It complicates things. It makes things harder. It's not good. Jacob has, functionally speaking, four wives. Now, one of them he really loved. One the other three were practical, and, and it was important. You, you know, marriage had a very much more practical dynamic in Jacob's day than it does in our day. You needed children to survive. You needed—they—they they were his employees, so he wanted to have as many employees as possible. Free labor, a lot of wives. This is Jacob's world. It's he's serving himself. Everything's pointing in his direction, and it should be the opposite. When you're the leader, you give of your benefits for the sake of others. You don't look to the people that you serve to serve you. But that's what Jacob was doing. He took a lot of wives, and then he started to work the dynamics in his favor. So he loved one of the women. He loved Rachel. And in his old age, Rachel had a son, Joseph. She'd have a later son, Benjamin. But if you love one woman above all the other women in your life, you're going to love her child, more than all the other children. He really loved Joseph. He really connected with Joseph. Joseph was the youngest. Jacob was the youngest. He saw himself in Joseph. He's my really special son. And then I have all these meh sons. Um, <clears throat> so uh, the last part of 37 verse 2, Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. Here's a complicating reality here. uh, Jacob's sons were his employees. Jacob held all of the power in the family. Jacob used Joseph to supervise his sons. Here, Joseph, come be part of my special inner circle. Have a coat of many colors. Now, go watch your brothers, and if they get out of line, you need to come tell me. But you're going to be my special son in the process. Triangulating is whenever you have to deal with something hard through a proxy. And Jacob is triangulating using his favorite son to oversee the sons that he doesn't care much for, for his own economic benefit. Do you see how complicated this is? The coat of many colors, the special status, some sons I love more than other sons. Was this Jacob's triangulating, or was it God's grace at work? The thing about this narrative, for the next eight weeks we're going to see, we can't separate those things. You cannot separate the messiness of your life from God's grace in your life. God enters those things and does good things from them. That doesn't mean that we go out and triangulate, it doesn't mean we go out and sin, take four wives. But it does mean that you cannot escape the sovereign grace of God in your life. So think about your family. Who's got the power? In your family. Who is loved in your family and special? Who is put down? Is there alienation? Are there people who can't talk to each other? Lines of communication cut off. Jacob's family was not out of the reach of God's grace, and neither is yours. So toxic number one, Jacob's self-serving leadership. Toxin number two, we're going to see that it's Joseph's self-absorbed reality. Joseph's self-absorbed reality. uh, Verse 5, now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. Behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. Verse 8, his brother said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and his words. Verse 4 said they hated him. Verse, uh, verses 8, they hated him even more. If Joseph cared about the feelings of other people in his life, he could metabolize negative feedback from them and change his ways. But Joseph had a special coat, and that coat had special powers. And he's above all that empathy stuff and active listening. So he doubles down. Verse 9, he dreamed another dream and he told it to his brothers. Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow down ourselves to the ground before you? Friends, we're witnessing Joseph's special snowflake stage. (laughs) He's highly enamored with himself. His talents, his status in the family, his special coat, his education, his Twitter followers, his dreams. I'm doing all right, getting good grades. The future looks so bright. I've got to wear shades. The more enthralled you are with yourself, the more clueless you will be about reality. The more obsessed you are with your pain, your dreams, your status, your advantages, your specialness, the harder it is to pay attention to other people. You don't get what it's like to be them. You don't get what it's what God is doing. You don't get the bigger picture. You're so enamored with yourself, you can't see reality. Consider the massive blind spots in Joseph's life. He lacked awareness of his brothers. Their hunger for their father's love, their pain, their experience of life, even their explicit feedback to him. It it bounced off of him. He couldn't take it. Joseph lacked awareness of his brothers. He also lacked awareness of God. There is no mention in these dreams... Uh, that they have come from God. There's no mention of Joseph deliberating in prayer with God about his dreams and what they may have meant, what the bigger picture was. He lacked awareness of his brothers, he lacked awareness of God, and finally he lacked awareness of his true vocation. Joseph's vocation would flower when he learned how to listen carefully to God, listen carefully to others, and then use what he learned by listening to serve people and feed people and offer them wise counsel and carry out wise public policy. That was when his vocation really took off. But he couldn't listen to anybody, and therefore his vocation was stuck. And he was alienating himself because he thought he was so awesome. Here's how one commentator put it. Joseph was fast becoming a very arrogant young man, a narcissist with an unrealistic view of himself, who would eventually have an inability to empathize with and love others. He was headed for the unhappy marriages and broken relationships and all-around miserable life that such people have. He was a very classy guy, headed for a very miserable life. You must understand that this special snowflake stage was only a stage because of God's grace. It was God's grace to interrupt it. It was God's grace to to mess it all up. Maybe you, in an honest moment, have considered yourself special or exceptional or floating above everybody, exempt from the suffering of your fellow humans. Maybe your education, your youth, your talents... This is the hubris of youth. I haven't suffered yet. I've experienced myself as special and I have these trophies. I probably am exempt from suffering. I'm probably exempt from the human experience. I don't know if you know my background or have seen the trophy case or have heard what all the awesome people have said about me, but I I don't really do those jobs and I don't really experience that pain because... Because I'm special. In some ways, this is the experience of being a child. Uh, You haven't experienced much in your life, so you just assume that you won't. You've experienced lots of love and and accolades. Oh, that's what I experienced before. That's what I'll experience in the future. It's just classic childishness. And it needs to experience God. to, to, To become an adult to experience the vocation that God has for us, and also to experience the depths of God's grace that is only available when you know that you need it. So toxin number one, Jacob's self-serving leadership was at play. Number two, Joseph's self-absorbed reality was at play. And then finally we come to the last toxin, and this is the brother's hateful jealousy. The brother's hateful jealousy um, I'll just read to you from verse 4, verse 8, and verse 11. Verse 4, when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than the other brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. And just time out here, in the opposite of, of, of love is not hate. The opposite of love is indifference. They're not indifferent to Joseph. They hated him. And hate and love are a hair's breadth away. Verse 8, his brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us or rule over us? So they hated him even more. They hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. In verse 11, his brothers were jealous of him. Now, in the Hebrew language, you didn't have bold italics or underline or lots of, lots of uh, adjectives, synonyms. And so if you wanted to really emphasize something, you said it several times. So in Genesis, when we see something repeated, Several times, we are supposed to pay special attention to it. And what we see repeated several times, this exceptional detail, is that Joseph's brothers really hated Joseph. It was intense. It was deep. It was abiding. It was toxic. It was the air that they breathed. It's quite possible that these brothers, when they saw their father love one son above all the others, that they experienced uh, resentment which is a mixture of disappointment, anger, and fear. Resentment is a mixture of disappointment, of anger, and fear. When you mix those all together, you have resentment. Who wouldn't be angry if your half-younger brother was your dad's proxy to supervise you in the fields and tattled on you whenever he pleased? Who wouldn't be afraid if your entire future was bound up in whether or not your father gave you his blessing or not, gave you his inheritance or not, who wouldn't be sad to see that your father clearly did not have affection for you? Sadness slash disappointment, fear, anger, it all adds up to resentment. Resentment leads to hatred. Hatred is the, is the byproduct of Resentment. When you hate someone, you want to see them suffer. You want to see them pay. You want to see them feel what it feels like to be powerless and unloved and suffering. And maybe maybe you can relate with this. Maybe you've suffered a lot. And you see people who think they're above suffering. And you see people who who float along in life and seem to be seem to be oblivious to the real human experience. Do you hate people? Do you have resentment? Do you want to see someone suffer? Do you want to see their success just get dashed to the rocks? God's grace was at work, in, even in their hatred. His, his grace was at work. Now, verse 11 encapsulates all of these three toxins into one very short, spare uh, verse. And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Joseph is telling his brothers and his fathers the dream. So I, I was just thinking about the mixture of these toxic elements. It's almost like you have this huge cauldron, a huge cauldron. Underneath the cauldron is the fire of Joseph's arrogance, talking about how awesome he is and his bright future. And inside the cauldron is all the toxic sludge of his brother's hatred. And on top of that toxic sludge which is heating up is the father's power, like a heavy lid just clamping down on it. They can't really express how they feel. They can't really endanger their inheritance any more than it's already endangered. The fire, the toxic hatred, the power which is clamping it all down, this is a recipe for explosion. This is a recipe for disaster. This is bad. And this is also precisely where God's grace is going to enter their story and redeem it. At the center of the universe is the Father, God the Father's relationship with his beloved son. And for endless ages, that relationship was unbroken and perfect and rich and deep. And God let that relationship be broken and severed. He let hell destroy that father-son bond so that your family can be healed. So that all the toxins that you have received and participated in, can experience and encounter God's grace, not by pretending, but by confessing. The Father and Son let evil, hellish things happen to their family so that good things could happen through yours. I want to encourage you to come back for the next seven weeks because we're going to talk about injustice and we're going to talk about resentment. We're going to talk about sex, sexual temptation. We're going to talk about Unfair accusations and the pain of the shadow of death and waiting and obscurity. We're gonna talk about our true vocations and what those look like. We're gonna talk about the struggle of forgiveness and how does that relate to to reconciliation? And we're gonna talk about what it means to struggle and ultimately to be prevailed upon in the hands of the loving God. Let us dream our dreams live our lives, begin to trust in the sturdy goodness of God, which gives all of our life meaning and direction and purpose. God, who let his own family be destroyed so that ours could be healed. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you so much for preserving the story of Joseph and Jacob. And thank you that our stories matter to you. Let us experience your grace in our brokenness. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I invite you to stand as we confess our faith in the words.